You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. I'm going to talk with you today and next week as I was writing and, and working on the sermon yesterday. It, it just kept growing on me. And, uh, and I thought I could try and squeeze it all in, uh, but I've got plenty of Sundays to go. So uh, we'll, we'll space this out. We'll, we'll cut it up and, uh, and, and, and pick up the second part of it next week. And we're going to be talking about the children of Israel. And we're going to be talking about an interesting aspect of their journey. Now, we understand if you've been a Bible reader, if you've been in church for uh, uh, a decent amount of time, the Old Testament is built, the Old Testament is written as a historical account of the children of Israel. God creates the universe. He then establishes a covenant with Abraham through before circumcision and after circumcision. And then they get brought into slavery in Egypt as Joseph moves into Egypt, takes over Egypt. It's pronounced, it's spoken that they're going to be enslaved. And they're enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And then a deliverer comes. God raises up a deliverer to bring them out of captivity, to bring them out of slavery, to bring them out of where they're not supposed to be and bring them to where they're supposed to be. And he talks to them about a new place, a new home, a new opportunity. And you can read about it in the Bible. There's also a movie that happened many, many years ago, The Prince of Egypt, if you remember that one, where it talks about the story of Moses as he delivers the Israelites from Egypt. And he brings them out. And they go on this journey. And they're on the verge of entering into what they call the promised land. They can see it. They're on the verge of it. It's believed that there's anywhere between two and three million people that left out of Egypt. And we're going to this promised land. And as they get near the promised land, and they see it all, Moses decides that he's going to take one person from each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel. They all have their amount of people associated with them. They take one person from each one, and they say, we're going to go spy out the land. We're going to see if God truly said was there. If you remember, he talked about a land flowing with milk and honey. Talked about a, a, a land where they could grow and they could live and they could flourish. And they said, well, instead of just going into the land that God promised them, he said, we're going to send spies to figure it out. And this is kind of where we're going to drop into. They've gone and spied out the land. They've come back. If you've read the story, you remember they're carrying on a, a branch uh, a whole thing of grapes and they're standing in front of the people, they're standing in front of Moses, and they're about to give an account of what they found in the land that God has promised. In Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be reading. We'll start verse 27, we'll go to verse 29, and then we'll jump around a little bit more. Then they, being the twelve spies, told him, being Moses, and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And this is their first account. It truly flows with milk and honey. 
and it's fruit. And this is the fruit. They have the big grapes. They have the, the fruit that they've brought back. This is the fruit. They're starting out confirming the word of God. Everything that God said is true. There's not an ounce or a lie that's associated with it. There's milk and honey. There's fruit. It's everything. And then verse 28, nevertheless, uh-oh, got to get bad here. It's going downhill quick. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. Anak is people that were giants there. We'll see that in a second. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites, they dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Uh-oh, that went south real quick. God, who has just delivered two to three million people out of slavery from one of the biggest cultures, one of the biggest historical times with the Egyptians at the time when they're overseeing and ruling all the world with having the Nile, he pulls them out. There's all of these plagues. Pharaoh decides to release them and let them go. Then he decides, nah, I'm going to try one more time. Moses splits the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground as the Egyptian army, one of the fiercest, most intense armies at the time, are chasing after them to either one, kill them, and or two, bring them back into slavery God decides enough is enough, and he decides to clap his hands and close the Red Sea on the entire Egyptian army. And then as they are going and traveling to this promised land, it says they have a cloud above them by day and a pillar of fire to light their camp by night. How big is that pillar of fire to light up two to three million people's tents and surrounding areas? How big is that cloud that oversees them as they're walking through the desert? And finally, they get to the precipice of the promised land, and they send in their spies to check it out. They've heard that God has prepared a place. They've heard that this is the place that God wants them to go, that it's a place of abundance, and they're on the verge of seeing the reality of the Word of God. And all of a sudden they say, ah, it's pretty dangerous. There's giants there. There's something that's stopping me from going from the word of God to the revelation in the physical sense of seeing it manifest in my life. I believe this is a similar place that a lot of us find ourselves today. We've heard the word of God either by reading the Bible, by coming to church, by receiving a prophetic word, or even hearing God speak to us directly. We've got a word that God is going to do this in our lives. So we've got a word, and we're on the verge of seeing that word manifest. But all of a sudden, just like the Israelites, there's giants between me and the manifestation of that word. And what am I going to do? We've not seen the fulfillment of that word show up physically, but we're almost there. 
You feel it. You sense it. You're dreaming it. As you're walking through life, you're on the verge of the healing. You're on the verge of the restoration. You're on the verge of that relationship turning around. But you're in the middle of the journey, and you find yourself surrounded by giants. And this is where I believe the Israelites made their mistake. And this is where so many people lose out on seeing God answer their prayers, seeing their prayers fully answered. I'm trusting God, but now there's chaos on my journey. Now there's giants in my journey. There's a fortified blockage for me getting from the word of God to the answer of God. I can see God moving, but there's giants in my way. What do I do? Do I give up? Do I cave in? Do I give in to the fear or failure? And the question that you're asking, I believe, is what do I do next? I've heard the word of God. He's told me to go. He's told me to do. He's established this. I see the miracles right there. Everything's about to change. Everything, but in between me and the answer to that prayer are giants, are fortified cities. There's people to the south of me attacking. There's people in the mountains. There's people at the coast. There's people surrounding me that are hindering me from getting there. And so many people, like what the Israelites wanted to do, was throw their hands up and say, let's go back to Egypt. Maybe we misheard the word of God. Maybe we misunderstood. Maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe God doesn't care. But there's too many giants in my way, and I can't beat them. I can't defeat them. So therefore, I'm going to leave. And so many people lose out as they're standing on the cusp of receiving their promised land because they let giants get in their way, because they let what they saw with the reality of their eyes get in their way. And God is saying, I've already given you the promised land. I've already given you what you see. It's all for you. Don't give up. And my encouragement today as we go through this story today and tomorrow, or next Sunday, is the title of my sermon. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. And through this story, we're going to show you and teach you how you can. How you can get from the word of God to the realization of the physical manifestation of God. And to get through those giants, to get through those armies, to get through the chaos that you see. I'm at point A with this word of God. I'm trying to get to point C, but there's a blockage in point B. Do I go back to point A? Do I give up? Or do I persevere and I keep moving forward until I get to the promised land? The first truth that we're going to talk about in how to keep moving forward is to change your perspective. Change your perspective. There's 12 spies but there's two of them that give a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Do you want to come up here and act out with me? No. We'll get your brother here next Sunday and we'll do it together. Joshua and Caleb, 10 of them are giving a bad report. They said, yes, it's full of milk and honey. Yes, look how big the fruit are, but also 
I know I led with the good. Do you want the good first or the bad first? Everybody said, we want the good. Okay, give us the bad. There's giants. Not only are there giants, the giants are in fortified cities. So how big are those cities to keep giants in them? And once we get through the giants in the large fortified cities, in the mountains, there's an army. If we go down by the sea, guess what? There's an army. If we go to the north, if we go to the south, there's other armies. There's enemies everywhere. But it's great. It's everything God said it would be. But what they focused on, yes, it is full of milk and honey, and yes, there's fruit. But what they focused on was the problem and the chaos that was around them. But Caleb decided to step up and say something in Numbers 13, verse 30. Caleb responded, as soon as they said, there's giants everywhere, fortified cities, people everywhere, then Caleb quieted the crowd. You know why he quieted the crowd? Because they started groaning, they started moaning, they started shrieking. There's giants. Moses, you brought us out here to die. At least we could go back and work for Pharaoh. We knew when we were going to die there. Now we don't know what's going to happen. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up tomorrow. Let us go up in a couple of days. As soon as he saw them and as soon as he came back, he said, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are all well able to overcome it. We're all well able. See how he changed his perspective and how he presented the perspective to the people. Caleb saw victory while the others saw defeat. Caleb saw God on his side while the others saw giants on the other side against them. Caleb just changed his perspective. He saw the same thing that every other spy saw. But he said, that's not what I saw with my physical. He said, I saw the physical things with you, but with my spiritual eye, I saw that God was on our side. Change your perspective. Now, you would think after a warrior, Caleb, one who was pulled out of the tribe that he was a part of, and he quieted the whole crowd, and he said this, that the, the next verse, the next couple of verses was saying the people roared and the people grabbed their swords and the people went and killed the giants. If we read a little bit more, verse 33, Eeyore's, the Eeyore spies started talking again. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Way to go, guys. What a perspective you're, you're, you're presenting. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were, we were in their sight. In our minds, in our perspective, those giants were really big. Those cities were really big. We were really small. With God's help, they were just pulled out of Egypt and out of Pharaoh's hands. They saw the plagues and the miracles that happened. It says in Psalms that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it says they plundered all of Egypt. 
and there wasn't a feeble person among them. These are slaves. They didn't have an HR company that they could go to and say, hey, I just want to let you know that the Egyptian on shift today, he beat me way more than he should have. He gave me 20 strikes instead of five strikes because I didn't push this part of the pyramid up. There wasn't any groups that was encouraging them to end the slavery. God pulled them out of Egypt. He healed them all. Then he had them rob every Egyptian as they walked out of Egypt. Then he splits the Red Sea, closes the Red Sea on the army, brings them to the promised land. After all of those things, my first response would not be that I'm a grasshopper. If God is on my side, then I'm bigger than those dumb giants. But that's not the perspective that they had. They forgot about who God was. They forgot about what God had done, even in that short amount of time. And it's so easy to stand on this side of the Bible and shake our heads at these people. I can't believe Israelites are so, they're so dumb. I can't believe they don't trust God. Look what all God has done. Look what all God has done in your life. And what have you said this week about your situation? What perspective have you presented? Have you been a Caleb? Let's go and destroy the giants now, today. Let me see God move in my life. Or is your perspective like the other ones? I'm just a grasshopper. I'm a nobody in this earth. I'm being run over and stepped on by my boss, by my spouse, by my kids, by my dog. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. But you've got to change your perspective so that you can move forward. So Caleb tries to rah-rah the troops again. In Numbers chapter 14, he decides that he's going to say something again. He's not going to let these spies, these other 10 spies, change the perspective of what he's seen and what he knows his God can do. And so in verse 8, he says, If the Lord delights in us, which we know he does, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, their protection has departed from them. Praise God. And the Lord is with them. Do not fear them. And you would think after he got done saying this, after he got done changing their perspective, that they would say, yes, you're right, Caleb. Forget the other 10. Let's sharpen our knives and let's go kill some giants. I've never killed a giant before, but this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and kill a giant and be glad in it. But that's not what happened. Look at verse 10, the response of the people. And all the congregation said, let's go, said to stone them with stones. Oh, boy. Well, that's, that's fun. But isn't that life? That when you get a little bit of faith, when you get a little bit of God, when you come to church and you get encouraged, you get built up on your most holiest of faith, God's speaking to you, you've got a great word, the prophet's here, he prophesies over you, 
You're reading your Bible. You get a fresh word, a fresh revelation. You go share it with your spouse. You go share it with somebody at work. You call or text a friend. And all of a sudden, they just poop all over you. And they try and change your perspective back to Egypt. Well, God didn't really tell you that. God's not on your side. God doesn't care. But over and over again, as the world is coming against him, as his people, as his family is coming against him, Caleb is not going to change his perspective. I've heard God speak. I know God's voice. I know what God said. And I'm going to see the fruition of that in my life. You can do whatever you have to do. You can say whatever you have to say. You can go back and do whatever you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've got to change your perspective, even when everything else is coming against you. A couple of weeks ago, I went golfing with Mr. Jim and some of their family out at the lake. And I haven't golfed in like a long time, and it showed, believe me. And so I would hit it, and it would get to like the women or old people's tees, or it would go into the trees or whatever. And eventually, after like three or four shots, I would catch up to Mr. Jim's one shot, closer to the fairway and I have my clubs and I just be looking at the flagpole and you're trying to do that golf math in your head oh, I don't know it's about 100 feet right 100 yards I don't know I could probably use my driver I think again but I didn't have the perspective because I'm trying to do it on my own. And I'm looking around at different things. And I'm thinking, well, the last hole, I was about this far out. And I killed an 8-iron. So maybe I should use a 9-iron here. But Mr. Jim has this really cool little tool. I believe, is it called a rangefinder? Is that the best name for it? Where he changes his perspective. He's got this little binocular thing. And he puts his eye in there. And he looks... And it tells him exactly how far he is away from the goal. I'm over here just guessing. And I'm like, well, I could hit one ball with a seven iron. And if that doesn't work, I'll drop another one. And I'll hit it with an eight. Or maybe I'll back up to a six. But he would come along and he would show that range fire. He would get a different perspective on it. And he would provide me clear direction. You are 170 yards out. Well, I know that if I pull my seven wood, my little hybrid thing, I can hit that between 150 and 175 if I really uncork it and I don't top it like I normally do. Because he has a different perspective. He has a different thing that can help him change the perspective and to bring precision to what I'm supposed to do. We have the Bible in our hand. That is our range finder. And so many people in life, whether in church or outside of church, are just looking around looking for the next step. Well, maybe if I just pull this out, maybe if I just get a, a, a better wife, maybe if I just get a better job, maybe if I just get some better kids, maybe, maybe if I do this or that, then maybe I'll get the goal that I want to. We're just looking all around, hoping and praying this is the thing that will happen. But the Bible is our range finder that tells us exactly where our goal is. If I need this in my life, I can go to the Bible and it will change my perspective and let me see precision on what to do and what to use to get there. You've got to change your perspective. When I worked in the prison, we had three different 
pods in the entire facility. We had minimum security, maximum security, and medium security, A, B, and C pod. And then in each pod, there were eight tiers. And in each tier, there were 10, 10 or 12 cells, five on top and five or six on the bottom. Each one held 10, 20 inmates in each one, two per cell. Now, if I go walk into a pod and I go walk into a tier and I go walk into a cell, then all I can see is the two inmates that were in that cell. I can't see all the other inmates, all the other threats that are potentially around me. I can only see the perspective that I have in that cell and in those things. But in the middle of every pod was a tower that you would go into, and there was an internal staircase, and when you came up out of that staircase, you were surrounded by glass, and you could see every tier, you could see every cell, and you could see every inmate, you could see every threat as you did a full 360 around there. You have to change your perspective. You have to go up higher. You can't just stay in that one cell, in that one situation. Well, woe is me. This situation never changes. Yes, I know it wasn't fair. Yes, I know they hurt you. Yes, I know it was this. Yes, I know it was that. But you've got to get out of that situation. You've got to get out of that fog. You've got to go up higher, and you've got to change your perspective so you can see everything that's around you, see that it's not as bad as it used to be. See that God is on your side and that God is moving and God is there. The other spies were naming all of the specific enemies in sizes and fortifications. They weren't talking about what God told them to do. I mean, they list all the names. The Hebusites, the Jebusites, the Hungryites, the Tiredites, the Hurryupites. Lift all the names, they lift all the fortifications, they lift all those things. But Caleb's perspective was different because he remembered what God said and he knew that they already had the victory. You need to change your perspective and quit naming all of your problems and issues and reasons why God is not moving and start speaking the scriptures of old that already remind you of your victory. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're going to be a Christian in this world, then you have to change your perspective. You can't walk by what the world sees and what the world says. We walk higher. We have a higher plane. We see higher than everybody else. For we walk by faith, not by sight. got to change your perspective as you're moving from your Egypt to your promised land experience. Quit being overcome with what you see in the natural and start believing that God will move in the supernatural. And the second point I have, and I'll, I'll finish with this, and we'll pick up the, the rest of them next week. you got to change your perspective. The second truth we're going to pull out of this is that it's just a giant. Remember that it's just a giant. It's just a giant. The others saw themselves, the other spies saw themselves as grasshoppers in verse 33. They're giants. Chances are the people didn't even see, the giants didn't even see them. Tell Kylie we said congratulations. Kylie is getting water baptized at another church. She rededicated her life at a camp uh, this week, and uh, she's getting baptized at that church right now. So uh, Kylie is your niece? Is that 
great niece. But she comes here every once in a while and, and hangs out with us. And uh, she rededicated her life, praise God. And she's getting water baptized, making a statement for Christ. So we celebrate with her. Tell her we said hi and thanks. No, you're fine. No, we celebrate that. That's awesome. And they saw themselves as grasshoppers. These are giants. They probably didn't even see the people. They didn't even see the spies. They're so big. They're not even paying attention. And the spies said, well, we're grasshoppers. And then if they saw us, they think we were grasshoppers too. But look at verse 30. Uh, let's go to Numbers 14, verse 9. Caleb is speaking. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. For what they, talking about the giants, are our bread. They're our bread. The spies said, we're grasshoppers. We're lowly. We're these little tiny things. And when Caleb saw the giants, he saw a snack. They said, we're these tiny little bugs. They're going to squish us. They're going to destroy us. And Caleb realized, it's just a giant. It's not that big of a deal. Quit overemphasizing the attack of the enemy. It's just a giant. We've seen God move time and time again. It's just a giant. Quit freaking out about it. Quit yelling about it. Quit making it bigger than it's supposed to be. It's just a giant. And God has defeated giants throughout history. And Caleb said, it's just bread. Those giants, those enemies are our bread. When do you eat bread? You eat bread before a meal. If you go to a restaurant, they try and stuff you with bread. Just keep bringing breadsticks out and loaf after loaf. And you eat bread to accompany a meal. To sop up the gravy, maybe with a sandwich. But for the most part, we don't eat bread as the main course. And what Caleb is saying is those giants, defeating those giants, defeating those in the mountains, in the seas, the north, south, is just a snack to God. You're treating it like it's a big deal. I can't believe it's giants. He's saying it's just a giant. They're like bread to us. We'll just eat them as a snack. We'll take care of them in one day, in one sitting, and then we'll take on whatever else God has for us. Quit treating your problem like it's this huge thing because it's not to God. In Psalms chapter 23, verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As the spies are freaking out, as the spies are talking about how big they are, Caleb is putting on his bib. If you've ever gone to Deshaun's and you get crab legs, they tie that plastic bib around you. He's sharpening his knives and he's sharpening his swords because he says, God has just prepared a table in front of my enemies and they're just bread to me. They're not even the first course. They're not the second course. They're not dessert. They're just an appetizer and they're just barely in the way. God's going to take care of them, and then I will see the manifestation of God's hand on my life. A giant is just another enemy and an opportunity that God can remove. Psalm 68, verse 1, part A, says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. It's just a giant. Quit making it bigger than it's supposed to be. It's just a financial issue. It's just this. It's just that. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a giant. Quit making it bigger than it is. Change your perspective and remember how big your God is. 
Quit talking. What's the saying? Quit talking about how big your problem is and tell your problem how big your God is. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is speaking and he says, These things I've spoken to you that in me, if you don't have peace in your life and you're wondering how do I get peace, it's in Jesus. Just spend more time with Jesus, you'll get more peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's not lying. He's letting you know up front, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's just a giant. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. And greater is he that's in you than anything that can come against you in the world. I wrote this, an angry insect is the same as an angry giant. They're both enemies. I had to have a a bug guy come out this week because on the back of my daughter's window, there was a wasp nest that was being built that was about the size of New York City by the time he got there. I mean, that thing was probably that big in the corner. But an angry wasp and an angry giant... They're both enemies, and they both can be defeated. But we treat when we see a problem as, oh, my God, it's so big. How's anything going to fix it? But to God, an enemy is an enemy, and when God arises, the enemies must be scattered, whether it's a giant or a bug. It's just a giant. Quit focusing on how big the problems are, and remember that God is on your side, and it's just... A giant. I was watching a, a baseball game last night, and they kept bringing in all these pitchers. This one team, the, the St. Louis was playing the Yankees, and their pitcher kind of got hurt. So he came in for five innings, and they brought in another pitcher for the sixth and seventh inning. Then they brought in another pitcher for the eighth inning. I think they put in a pitcher for specifically for a left-hander. Then they brought in their closer in the ninth. Now, a Major League Baseball season is 162 games. Think of how many times a batter faces a different pitcher. As a batter who plays 162 games a year, how many batters they keep putting in front of them over and over and over again. Big tall ones, short ones, some that throw overhand, some that throw sidearm, some that come all the way underneath, left hand, right hand. Think about for the last two years, I've been pitching to my son in coach's pitch. If my son makes it to the majors, he probably won't. But if he does, how many... Pitchers my son would face from when he was six years old and me pitching to him, straight fire, straight gas, all the way to whenever he makes it to the majors and he stays in the majors, let's say 10, 20 years. Do you know how many batters he would face? I mean, how many pitchers he would face? How many different pitches? How many fastballs? How many changeups? How many curveballs? But those, those batters, every time, they stand up in there with the full assurance knowing that they have practiced, they trust their swing, they trust their training, and it doesn't care who's on that mound, I'm going to hit a home run off of them. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat them. Batter after pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, year after year, game after game, they trust their swing, they trust their training, and every time they get in the batter's box, 
and they face it. Whether it's Clayton Kershaw, whether it's Roger Clemens, whether it's Nolan Ryan, or whether it's me just throwing in the backyard, that batter gets up there because they've trained and they've prepared and they know I'm better than this pitcher. It's just a giant. You're better than the giant that you're facing right now. You've trained for this. You've prayed for this. You've believed for this. God is on your side. He's given you his book to train you and help you and teach you. He's given you this church to train you, to help you, to teach you. It's just a giant. It's another one. You'll face another one down the the line, but it's just a giant. It's just an enemy. And God has continually defeated giants, and he'll defeat your giant. You've got to change your perspective, and you've got to understand it's not as big of a deal as it's led on to. I've got two scriptures left. Colossians 2 verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, talking about Jesus, Jesus made a public spectacle of them. Look at this, triumphing over them in it. Jesus already defeated the powers of darkness when he went to the cross. And in 1 Corinthians 15 57, but thanks be to God who gives you and me who gives the Israelites, who gives anybody on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, not through my own might, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. Quit sizing up your enemy and know that God has already defeated whatever is attacking you. It's just a giant, and we know what to do with giants. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And we'll talk about the next couple of truths next week. Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Change your perspective this week. Something's going to happen. Jesus said it. Be of good cheer. Tribulation's going to happen, but I've already overcome the world. Something's going to happen this week where you'll have the opportunity to be the negative spy or be the God spy. To say, ah, I'm a grasshopper in this situation. Or you could say, God's already defeated them. They're just bred to me. It's just a giant. It's just another roadblock, a road bump that I'm going over. It's not going to crash my car. I'm going over it. I'm going through it because God is on my side. Keep moving forward. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this opportunity to preach and be encouraged and hear your word. God, we're all choosing today to move forward. Father, each and every one of us have a situation, have a frustration, have something that we're going through, and we're not seeing the answer. We're not seeing the fulfillment of it. Father, help us this week change our perspective to go up higher than the situation, to go up higher than the fear, to go up higher than the failure, to go up higher than the evil and look from faith to faith and from glory to glory and see that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that they've done it before and you'll do it again in our lives. And Father, help us remember that it's just a giant. It's not that big of a deal. It's not as intense and crazy as the Israelites and the spies were making it out to be. God has defeated the enemy already. God has put the devil under his feet, and 